This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast, and we've got another great message for you. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. Father, as we open these scriptures, may your Holy Spirit open our hearts. May the promises of our Good Shepherd be made new in our lives. Help us hear your voice, to hear you call our names, and invite us to deeper trust and life to the full in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is it about voices? As uh, Modi was speaking, I was like, what a pleasant voice. Uh, What is it about voices, right? When we listen to music as a family in the car, my kids know that I have a preference with certain voices. I really like uh, musical voices with something called vocal fry. I don't know if you guys are familiar with vocal fry. It's whether it's this natural raspiness in the voice or it's a vocal fry because of too much whiskey or cigarettes. Uh, I just love how those voices sing. And what's that? Like, sure, (laughs) Kenny Rogers, right? Uh, While other voices, something about that register and the cadence of the voice, it can communicate about something very uninteresting, for instance, but you're still captivated. Uh, Are you familiar with the voice of David Attenborough? That guy can talk about anything, right? Like, ah, yes, the male peacock. (laughs) Look at those feathers. He's fanning them out, and the female seems quite interested. It's a game of attraction. Like the male is confident, and it's working, right? Like, his voice is the best. And then it's like 45 minutes later, and you're like, I've just watched a documentary on birds. I'm not interested in birds. But David Attenborough's voice just captivated me, right? You're just, wow. <laughs> when a particular voice speaks to you, It's something about that unique voice that resonates with you. I don't even have to see David Attenborough. I'm just like, whoa, what's he going to say next about birds, right? And when the disciples discovered that it was Jesus talking to them on the road to Emmaus, they said, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us on the road? See, Christianity, it's not primarily just a set of ideas. It's not primarily philosophies. Although the Christian tradition, in my opinion, has the vastest and deepest well of thought and debate and theology. At the center of it, at the heart of it, it's all relational. It's intensely relational. It's a connection with somebody. Oftentimes when I was growing up, people would say from the front, you know, worship is not about us. And I I took that to heart. Worship is not about us. Worship is not about us. And while that is true in some sense, because we can only know God through relationship, worship has everything to do with us. It deeply matters if we bring our whole selves to worship every week. It deeply matters because that's how we know God. It's relational. It has everything to do with us. It's a connection between God uh, with his voice, with God, sorry, and his voice. The disciples of Jesus would sit at his feet and they would drink in his teaching and his voice. 
Remember Mary at the resurrection. It was at the voice of Jesus that she recognized him. And you and I were invited to hear God's voice through prayer, through listening, yes. But also, there are so many voices that are fighting for our attention at every waking moment. And and some of these voices, they're internal as well. We've internalized some of these voices. And so it's more important than ever to be able to discern God's voice in our lives. When we face challenging circumstances, how many voices are fighting for what should I do? And playing out all these scenarios in our minds, it's the conviction of the followers of Jesus that we can hear his voice and obey it. I always say the Bible is one complete story, but it's more helpful to think about the Bible as a library more than it is a book, one book. It's one story, but it's a library. And like any good library, there are genres, many different genres, but it tells one story. And as a principle, we always have to look at the historical context of any passage of Scripture that we find ourselves in. And so when we come to this passage in John chapter 10, we have to remember how Jesus' audience, how are they shaped? How does their mind work? When an image is given, what what does their mind beeline for, right? And so Jesus' audience, of course, has been shaped by the Hebrew Bible, what we know and what we call the Old Testament. When Jesus talks about shepherds and sheep, the language that would come to his audience would be, like, deeply embedded. Right? They remember language from the Torah. For example, uh, Numbers, chapter 27. Yahweh, who gives breath to all living things, will appoint someone over his people to go out and to come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. Sheep, shepherd language. What Jesus teaches is always part of a greater whole. His audience would have known of the prophet Jeremiah who wrote about bad shepherds, who wrote that shepherds, the bad ones, would destroy and scatter sheep. Jeremiah wrote, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them, uh, and I will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in numbers. Ezekiel chapter 34, the God of Israel speaks as the chief shepherd of his people who will appoint under-shepherds to look after them. You see, in the Hebrew Bible, we saw uh, religious leaders uh, commit temple abuses and false scales where they would weigh and, and cheat people, right? God himself, in the Hebrew Bible, will come and scat- gather his scattered sheep from, into one fold from all the distant places they strayed. Ezekiel chapter 34, again, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. So the Messiah would come in David, from David's line. So if you zoom out of the story from 10,000 feet, you'll see all these promises in the Hebrew Bible that Yahweh himself will save his sheep and gather the flock from his pasture. The Hebrew Bible is so rich with shepherd metaphor. So we have to consider that. And then we also have to consider the direct context of John chapter 10. This story takes place immediately after Jesus heals a man born blind. A man born blind. And remember, the blind man, at the end of the story, gets thrown out of the synagogue. He gets thrown out of the synagogue. Who does he get thrown out of the synagogue by? The Pharisees. 
who were the shepherds, right? The Pharisees, they were the shepherds of the synagogue. And then the parents come, and they don't even come to the blind man's defense. The parents don't even come to the blind man's defense because the scripture says the parents were afraid of the religious authorities. They were afraid of the Pharisees. They were afraid of these bad shepherds. And they didn't want to be expelled from the synagogue. And so the blind man was a sheep expelled from the synagogue, scattered by these imperfect shepherds. And at the end of chapter 9, the blind man finds a true shepherd in Jesus Christ. Do you remember that story? The blind man finds a true shepherd in Jesus Christ. And this is where John chapter 10 begins. There's so much rich background that informs this story. And Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. So the audience would have been familiar with these communal sheep pens. I believe there's a picture on the following slide. They would have been familiar with these communal sheep pens in Jesus' day. Every village had one of these pens. Picture this large, sprawling, grassy area with hills and tall stone walls with one single gate as an entrance. And so these pens would be very, very large. And there would be one single gate as an entrance. And the gatekeeper's job was to ensure that only authorized shepherds would gain access to this area. So if anyone was climbing the walls uh, of these sheepfolds, then they were thieves. They had malicious intent, right? And notice he's addressing the Pharisees. You can sense this building frustration between Jesus and the Pharisees in the Gospel of John because these were the people who were meant to teach and encourage and to guide the people of God. These were meant to be shepherds. But they were so closed-minded within themselves that they were unable to see the, the, the truth of the man born blind. They were unable to see the transformation when people encountered Jesus Christ. And throughout this gospel, we see Jesus fashioning a whip of cords and flipping t- tables at the temple and demonstrating what God thinks of all of these economic abuses and the practices of religious officials throughout the fourth gospel. Jesus is frustrated by the people who are meant to be shepherds to bring life to everyone. Instead, they're leaving them, leading them astray like thieves and like robbers. And Jesus says in verse 2, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So in these sheepfolds, there were actually several flocks. There were several flocks and several shepherds. Um, and so they were all in the same enclosure. So when a different shepherd would come and they were an authorized shepherd, the gatekeeper would open the gate and the shepherd would call out to his sheep and all the sheep would recognize their unique shepherd's voice. Do you see see that? And the sheep would come because there were various sheepfolds in that one enclosure. And the gatekeeper, the father, opens the gate for the shepherd. The sheep will hear the true shepherd's voice the sheep were able to distinguish their shepherd's voice amongst other shepherds' voices. And the, sh- the sheep were called and led out, and the shepherd would go before them, and the sheep would follow. You see that? So notice the shift in direction. The passage begins with entering into the sheepfold, but now the good shepherd is leading his sheep out of the fold. 
So verse 4 says, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. So remember that language from the Hebrew Bible? He goes out ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech that the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So the shepherd enters the gate. He calls his sheep from the pen and he leads them out. Jesus is leading his sheep out of the pen. So early in this gospel, at the end of chapter 5, Jesus says that there's a time coming. I believe it's on the next slide. Um, Jesus says there's a time coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. The voice of the Son of God. They'll hear his voice and they will come out. And regarding this passage, there's a New Testament professor named Andreas Kostenberger. And he writes, The coming resurrection and judgment is not a distant, disconnected, and impersonal event, but it's intimately tied to one's personal relationship with Christ. End quote. So there's this responding to Jesus' voice in faith, but it's in relationship. It's in intimacy with him. It's tied to our relationship with him. And then in chapter 11, Jesus literally calls to Lazarus with a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out of his grave. The sheepfold was supposedly a place of protection. But here in the Gospel of John, it's actually equated with death. A very reputable scholar named F.F. F. Bruce puts it this way. He says, quote, The shepherd is Jesus himself. He is pictured as coming to the Jewish fold and calling his disciples out. One of them, indeed, had just been pushed out. This is the man born blind, remember? Others had come out already, and yet others would come out before long. The members of the religious establishment could not communicate with them to him. To him, their voice was the voice of strangers. But when the true shepherd of Israel found him and spoke to him, he responded to him at once. End quote. At the call of his voice, Jesus is leading his sheep out from death and into eternal life. Jesus rescues us from sin and death. Jesus rescues us from the grave. The grave has a voice too, doesn't it? How many of these voices are common in your story? Right? How about the voices of shame and guilt? The voices of shame and guilt. In Asian culture, it's known as a culture of shame. And Western culture is known as a culture of guilt. And so as an Asian person born in Canada, I have two parts shame and two parts guilt. And it combines into a really bitter cocktail. And I like bitter. <laughs> I'm not that bitter, right? But there's voices of shame and guilt. How about the voices that remind you that you're not good enough? Or voices that remind you that you're not doing enough? You're not productive enough. You're not accomplishing enough. How about the voices of fear? The voices of greed? How many of your dreams have just never been realized because fear gets in the way? Right? Or voices of greed or the freedom that you dream of has not been realized because of all these crushing internal voices. Voices of greed, voices of lust, voices of hatred. The grave makes so many promises. And you and I both know the grave doesn't keep them. It doesn't keep them. How many of us live in that orchestra of voices 
that keep destroying us all the time. And those who follow Jesus are trained to be able to distinguish his voice amongst all those other voices. You know, people, we always think of biblical people as uh, archaic because they worshiped idols. And then we put like a charging bull outside of Wall Street. And people come and they actually rub the bull for good fortune. This is North America, right? This is the stock market. Uh, they were, but it's what that bull represents, greed, lust for money. How many of us worship money? Don't answer that question too quickly, right? We voice, followers of Jesus are trained to distinguish his voice. What does Jesus say about money? No one can serve two masters. God or money. Which one do we serve? I was in a session with my spiritual director, and she was reading Matthew chapter 11 to me, slowly and repetitively, from Eugene Peterson's translation. And one of the lines says, Jesus' voice, I won't lay anything heavy and ill-fitting on you. I won't lay anything heavy and ill-fitting on you. And she was asking me, what, what do I sense? And what do I feel? And I was journaling while, while she was reading this verse to me. And I said, the burdens and the expectations of being a pastor feels heavy and ill-fitting. Have you ever felt that no matter what you do, it's never enough? Right? Nothing will ever be good enough. And then I wrote my inner monologue of guilt and shame. It feels heavy and ill-fitting. My sense of duty to everybody feels heavy and ill-fitting. Not wanting to disappoint my congregation or people around me is heavy and ill-fitting. And Jesus says, I, I can teach you to live lightly and freely. And yet all these burdens feel so heavy and ill-fitting. It's just voices, right? And the more I work with my spiritual director, these grave voices, the voices of shame and guilt by the power of the Holy Spirit, through intention, but also through grace and patience, they're starting to grow quieter, those grave voices. And I really believe that's possible for every single one of us. And I know brothers and sisters engaging the Holy Spirit, and they find healing from these voices. The spiritual director always quotes Dallas Willard, you can step onto the tracks of oncoming grace. Grace is like this ever-moving train that's always coming towards you and pursuing you. All you have to do is just step on the track, right? Don't do that with a real train. But do that with the train of grace. All you have to do is just be step out of the shadows. Stop hiding from God and step into his grace. When you learn to hear the voice of Jesus, it's an unconscious formation where we can sometimes even watch God at work. I've been learning to do a little less. I'm trying to do less these days. It's really difficult. And if you don't realize it, um, as I did less, I realized how physically tired I was. And sometimes it's not until you stop that you, the fatigue catches up to you. But I'm always going at 150. And so slowing down to 100 is even a challenge. And then slowing down more, I realize how much strength it takes to fight the cultural monster of productivity. Right? Or making up for lost time. But it leads to greater freedom and lightness because you can quiet those grave voices that tell you that you're not doing enough, you're not good enough. The grave makes promises that it never keeps. 
Think about your own life. What are those gray voices? Is your life better for obeying them, for listening to them, for being enslaved to them? The shepherd leads them out. The sheep in the fold were protected by walls. And now the shepherd is summoning them out of this sheepfold where they were protected. And so what protection do they have when they're out of the sheepfold with tall walls? The only protection they have is the shepherd. And that's enough. And that's enough. The sheep trusted the shepherd. And the only thing the sheep had to do when they were outside those walls is to stay close to the shepherd. Do you see how that would transform your life? Your only job is to stay close to the shepherd. Your job is to stay close to the shepherd. I'm always reminded by my spiritual director, my psychotherapist, everyone, Josh, you're a child before you're anything else. I'm a child before I'm even a husband, before I'm a father, before I'm a pastor. And, and being a child doesn't advocate me for many of those roles, but it's the primary role I have, and it informs all the other roles. The job of the sheep is to stay close to the shepherd. I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring that truth into your heart today. Your job is to stay close to the shepherd. You're like, well, everything's falling apart. I don't have time to stay close to the shepherd. That's when you need to stay close the most. I don't have time to stay close to the shepherd. I'm struggling with my wife. That's when you need to stay close to the shepherd. My kids, don't, I don't have a relationship with them. That's when you need to stay there. Right? Eugene Peterson says, quote, Sheep do not recognize any voice but the voice of their own shepherd. There's a chemistry between them, a mutual knowing that is developed over time. I love that. Chemistry between them. There's a mutual knowing that's developed over time. Time is always part of the equation. And consistent habits shape your character over time. Right? Jesus knows his own and they know him. So the sheep's response to the shepherd's voice is a sign of their trust in him, the sign of their dependence. It's a sign of the proximity, how close they're staying with them. The goal isn't just to become a sheep, right? The goal is to be one who hears and follows the voice of their shepherd. So how do you do that in a world where the grave is so loud? Because our first instinct often isn't to pick up the scriptures. It isn't often to pray. It's Instagram. It's TikTok. I feel dirty just even saying those names now. Instagram and TikTok is gross. There's been a number of brothers and sisters in our congregation that actually gave up Instagram and TikTok for Lent. And they never picked it up again. And they're like, I actually feel a spiritual freedom. Right? We have to practice tuning into the voice of our shepherd through silence. Silence. Oftentimes, my wife and I, we want to say something to each other, and I'm sure many of you will be able to relate. So I want to talk about something important with my wife. And then suddenly, there's a voice that says, can I have a glass of milk? And another voice says, I need you to sign this test, Dad. And another voice says, where's my glasses case? I'm in a rush. And, then, and these are all beautiful voices. These are the voices of my children. And, and Shelly and I need to be like, we need to stop. Because we can only focus on each other's voice. Like, if something's important, you can only listen to one voice at a time. Isn't that true? 
If something's important, you can only listen to one voice at a time. And we're just like, stop talking. We need to hear this. When you want to listen, you can only listen to one voice. And so when we're praying or when we're in a time of meditation with the Lord or when we're in Scripture, maybe it's time to turn your cell phone on its side. Or maybe, for some people, I had to tell them to use their real Bible, like their physical Bible again, because you can't get distracted by the notifications. How often are you using your devotion on your phone? It's like, ding, oh, and then you forgot what you were doing. Right? One voice at a time. So in our congregation, people started reading the scripture, and some of them were like, okay, I'm going to do it in my physical Bible, because that's the only way I can focus. And it doesn't have to be long, but it's focus. Right? This isn't to guilt and shame and to say you're not doing enough. To say the way that we engage things matters, too. The medium in which we hear things matters. I used to listen to podcasts at two times speed. And I was like, what is this doing to shape me? And, and, and listening to it one time speed actually changes how you engage with it. Right? Same thing goes for Scripture. We need to ask ourselves, does this voice align with our, the character and teachings of Jesus? Right? Whenever you hear a cultural voice, a podcast, something you're taking in, does that align with the character and teachings of Jesus? Even if it's a pastor who's saying this on a podcast, does it align with the character and teachings of Jesus? Is it leading me towards love? Is it leading me towards greater joy and peace and wholeness and faithfulness, self-control, gentleness? In chapter 20, Jesus utters the name Mary, and she recognized Jesus, because his sheep know his voice. When we respond to God's voice or we reject his voice, we're pleasing or offending someone, right? It's not just a principle in a book, it's a person, right? In our conscience, we hear the voice of the shepherd, and we can dull that voice, or we can obey that voice. In verse 7, Jesus says again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All, so any false messiah, any religious leaders from, uh, that were bad shepherds who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So the sheep didn't listen to these Pharisees. Isn't that cool? The sheep didn't listen to them. Jesus says twice that he himself is the gate. And so these were the, the, the pens that the picture was showing, and there was one single gate. And the gatekeeper would open it for authorized shepherds. And in the Hebrew Scriptures, the gate was also a place of justice. Justice would take place just outside the gate. Right? The gate was also a place of protection. The gate was a place of fortification. The gate was a place of defense. And there's imagery in the Hebrew Bible that just outside the gates, evil was plotting. Right? The enemy was lurking. And at the end of the scripture, the gates of the New Jerusalem in Revelation, they're never shut. Isn't that a beautiful picture? They're never shut. And why is it never shut? Because there's no more danger. Jesus is the gate, and whoever enters in through him will be saved. So that would make Jesus both the good shepherd and the gate. You see that? I'm the gate, 
and he's also the good shepherd. How does it make sense that Jesus is both the gate and the shepherd? Well, it says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep in verse 11. But the shepherd himself is also the gate. The good shepherd enters the sheepfold through laying down his life. On the basis of his death and his resurrection, Jesus leads his sheep out of death. This work was the work of the Father, the gatekeeper, called Jesus too. And Jesus is the only gate to life. It's not the sacrificial system of the temple that saves people. It's not a life of five pillars. Or it's not a life of eightfold paths. Or deeds that can earn our faith, or earn our way to a restored relationship with God. Jesus says, I am the way. Singular. It's through relationship with Jesus himself that frees us from the power of sin and death. Tom Wright, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, says, Jesus is the gate to life with God, but he's also the shepherd who leads us into that life. End quote. He's the way we find pasture. And that word pasture communicates this full and abundant life. In verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus is saying the way to true the way to full life isn't through the doors of achievement. It's not through religiosity. It's not through wealth or accumulation, but through him. You know, when I was listening to podcasts on two times speed, you can take in a lot of podcasts. And I started listening to a lot of secular TED Talks and, and secular podcasts of productive people. And they rake in so much money. It's crazy. And their promises are so empty. And it's always about success. And then you read the headline the next day and they divorce their seventh wife. Right? Or this person's daughter estranges themselves from their parents. Right? And their parents are wealthy and uber famous. Thief comes in to steal and destroy. I've come that they may have life and life to the full. If you worship money, you'll never have enough. Point me to someone that says they have enough money, right? <laughs> and they're always, they're always getting more. The richest on the Forbes list, they keep getting richer. Right? When they can fund thousands of generations of their bloodline already. You worship power and control, you never have enough. Look at the narcissistic leaders, right? Never enough. You worship beauty, you die thousands of of times before we get planted in the ground. The abundant life, as Dallas Willard puts it, is as God lives it. This life is lived beyond the limitations of the natural self, in the power of God's own being. It is a life that is grounded in God's reality and is able to draw on God's own resources in meeting the challenges of existence. That's Dallas Willard. So beautiful. I love that. Jesus is the door of life, not just life eternal, but life now. Life eternal starts now, right? Life eternal starts today. And the only way to fully give, give into full and abundant life is to give up our understanding of what that life means. Because we fill in the blanks. Life would be great if I just had X more money, right? X more. And then when I talk to Shelly about those, when we do have those moments of weakness where we're like, what do we need? That, that number just seems to grow, doesn't it? That number seems to grow. And the 
the goalposts keep moving on when we'll be satisfied. And Jesus promises, you can be satisfied in me, regardless of those circumstances. And then we come to church and we sing, like, you are more than enough for me. And then we get home and we're like, oh, this is enough. Right? Right? We do it, well, we do it sincerely. I do it too. It's like, yeah, I would go to the ends of the earth, except for that place. Except for any place that isn't Bar Haven. Right? We can be of two minds, oftentimes, without even realizing it. And when we give up our understanding of what that full life is, the Holy Spirit can say, hey, I can tell you what that is. It's life in close proximity to the shepherd. It's life in fullness and abundance. It's life in wholeness with a W. Let go of your power. Let go of your control. Let go of your pride. Let go of your ego. Let go of your greed. Let go of your sense of entitlement. Let go of your need to be right. Let go of your need to have it all together. And then cling to the shepherd. My mentor, Paul Racine, he often says, you can't be full of the Holy Spirit when you're so full of yourself. Right? The life that Jesus offers is a life that starts today. And it doesn't end. It's an eternal life. It's a life that doesn't perish. Like wealth does. Like material does. Like accolades do. I often talk to my kids about these iconic bands of the past. And they're like, who? I'm like, oh, you know the greatest band of all time? Like, who? Right? Oh, they won the most Grammys? Who? Like, they don't care. <laughs> right? None of their friends care. Or well, a few of their friends care. Um, accolades disappear. Right? All these things. We can die to the world. Jesus invites us to die to the world. Or we can die with the world. Right? The life that Jesus offers is a life that starts today and doesn't end. A life that's so rich and so full that it's hard to even think back at how we operated it with the baseline of not knowing Jesus. Right? Jesus is the gate to salvation. He's the door to salvation. And he leads us out of death and into eternal life. And the only job of a sheep is to stay close to the shepherd. So may the Holy Spirit bring that truth close to our hearts. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would bring supernatural peace and comfort to every sister and brother that needs your presence and your comfort in a supernatural way today. But Holy Spirit, we also pray that you would bring disruption to every sister and brother who needs that. To each of us who have been chasing and pursuing the wrong thing. when you, like a loving Father, have been pleading with us, this in Christ we can find full life, an abundant life. Holy Spirit, I pray you would draw us closer in proximity to Jesus, even in baby steps, putting our phone on silence, or even engaging the scripture without our phone whatever it takes, whatever you uniquely place on our hearts that can help us carve 
today on Father's Day, we are glad that you truly are good, holy, perfect Father, always with us, always present, comforting us and disciplining us so that we would be and grow to be who you desire us to be. So in everything that we have read in the scriptures and how we engage with this passage, Holy Spirit, would you bring the truth to our hearts? And Holy Spirit, would you have your way with us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. for tuning in. We're back next week with another great message. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to The Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast.